So I know a secret about you, all of you. By next Sunday, research indicates you will have forgotten at least 90% of what I'm about to say. This doesn't really offend me because I believe that God works in that 10%, but unfortunately for you, I don't know which 10% it is, so you're going to get it all. <laughs> and I know that within an hour, about the time you're wrapping up lunch, you'll have already forgotten 50% of what I say. By tomorrow morning, a full 70% will be gone, but I do believe the Holy Spirit uses what He uses, and so I don't really mind about the rest. These studies reveal to us the way that the human brain copes with the ongoing just flood of new information that we get all the time and, and explains why it is so hard for us to really change the way we do things. See, we can learn new stuff, we can go to training, we can go to classes, but because of this forgetting curve here, we will quickly revert to default patterns and old habits unless we constantly refresh ourselves and, and actively work to form new habits. This is, I think, a big part of why we so often struggle to apply our, our head knowledge of what life in Christ is supposed to look like. We struggle to take that head knowledge and really apply it to our hearts and to our habits to see a, a life that is truly changed and transformed by our faith. Because genuine learning requires some repetition, some application, and some reminding so that we will stop sliding back into just whatever our old default patterns of, of thinking and speaking and doing are. Today we're continuing our journey through Paul's letter to the Galatian churches, and he is writing to do exactly what I described, to repeat, to remind, and to apply, because these new Christians in Galatia have already forgotten the 90% of what he told them, and they are falling back into old patterns that they had always relied on to get themselves right with God. And they, these patterns do them no good. And so I read this morning from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. In a loving and Christian way, Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This passage reflects a simple fact that is as true for us today in our modern life as it was 20 centuries ago, that we are easily confused as we live our faith. The Galatian church was young. It had been founded by Paul not all that long beforehand. 
He had taught them personally the truths of the faith. And yet, after a very short time, possibly less than a year, they had become confused about the most basic doctrine of the Christian faith. Our justification before God. The way we stand not guilty before God is by faith. False teachers had moved into this church. They were teaching these young Christians that accepting Christ and and getting the Holy Spirit and being baptized were, were a good start. But you needed to do some other things to really live the full Christian life. This was the message being taught to these folks. And based on the overall content of the letter, we believe these teachers were convincing the Galatians to, that in addition to all those things, right, believing, being baptized, and receiving the Spirit, that in addition to that, they also needed to follow all of the Jewish rules and laws. And so they were leading the Galatian churches into legalism. And we can tell from this morning's passage, I hope you notice, that Paul is appalled that his beloved children in the faith are so quickly forgetting the true good news of Jesus Christ, that they have instead fallen into this terrible pseudo-gospel, fake good news, if you will, that's really an anti-gospel, the opposite of good news, an enormous pile of bad news about legalism. We can tell that Paul is shocked. He is angry. It's like he is trying to grab them and shake them to get them to to wake up. He is urgently trying to get them to snap out of it because they have fallen back into all their old habits and all their old efforts to save themselves by their good behavior. And so he addresses them harshly in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. And then he cross-examines them. He starts hurling question after question at them to try and awaken them from their nonsense and to remind them of their original conversion experience that they had when he was there with them, teaching them. He says, who has bewitched you? Their drift away from the good news of Jesus Christ, so plainly taught and into the the bad news of trying to save themselves by working really, really hard was, was such a dramatic fall, such a dramatic reversion to old habits, And he basically says that that they're so foolish, he he asks if they are under some kind of magic spell or curse. That's how bad it was. And it's kind of interesting, because in the original language, the who of Paul's question is a singular. It is one person. He says, who is the one person who has bewitched you Galatians? Now, as we've been talking along the way, as you know from the letter, there were multiple false teachers in Galatia. And so I think this question gives us a very interesting insight, both for them and for us. Because behind all of the false teachers who ever try to pull Christians away from the simplicity of the good news of Jesus Christ stands one person who wants to render every Christian ineffective and exhausted, legalistic and spiritually empty. Who has bewitched the Galatians? Satan. Who tries to distract and destroy churches today with legalism? Satan. Paul emphasizes that he so vividly described for them, he so plainly taught to them the good news of Jesus Christ, the way of salvation, the sacrifice 
made for them, right? That it was so vivid in his description of the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by which we are saved from our sins, that for them it should have been just like they were witnesses themselves. Right? He brings in eyewitness language as he says it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so he's asking them to think back. Think back to that earlier time. Again, probably not more than about a year beforehand. Think back to that earlier time and, and think about how they had received the Holy Spirit, the, the ultimate sign, seal, and guarantee of salvation. Had they received the Holy Spirit by, by being really good people who did lots of really good churchy things? Or had they received the Holy Spirit when they first believed and nothing more was required? Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the implied answer, of course, is by faith alone. Nobody ever received the Spirit of God by following the Jewish law. Paul continues relentlessly in verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Right For every Christian, our faith walk begins with the Holy Spirit, and he, he transforms us throughout our life, and yet the Galatians had fallen back into thinking that they needed to, to add things to the work of the Holy Spirit. Thinking that they even had the ability to add things to the work of the Holy Spirit, and Paul's assessment of that is clear. Are you so foolish? We could add, are you so arrogant to think that you need to add something to the work of the Holy Spirit, or that you can add something to the work of the Holy Spirit? The Galatian Christians had apparently suffered some persecution for their faith, and Paul says that, that this was a complete waste if they were just going to become Jews all over again. He points out all the ridiculousness of it in verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And then, then sort of to top it all off, the Galatians were so forgetful and so easily confused that it seems that they have forgotten the significance of the miracles that, that apparently Paul did when he was there and were still going on right in their midst. And miracles apparently happening, and they're still trying to, to lose sight of what it was that brought those miracles, that they were by the Spirit. Paul asked, is he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, this is a present tense, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. There were so many clear reasons for these Christians to remember how they were saved and how they were to walk by faith in light of the good news of Jesus, and yet they had already forgotten, preferring instead to just revert back to the old form, walking by rule following. Oh, foolish Galatians. But it's easy for us to sit here Sunday morning quarterbacking, cheering Paul on, right? Go, Paul. Teach those fools a lesson. What's wrong with those people? But let's, let's be honest, right? Let's be honest with ourselves. This is a good place to be honest. We get confused ourselves quite often on this subject too, don't we? Because in our heads, we, we know it, right? We've got it straight in our heads. We're saved by faith, not by good deeds or hard work. And yet, how many times in our daily lives are we, are we really living in the confidence of that salvation versus thinking that instead we, we need to be scrambling to be good enough and to do all the right things and to check off all the right boxes 
in order to be a good Christian. And it's a lie because Satan wants to fool you too. He wants to bewitch us as well, right? He wants to make you feel like being a Christian is exhausting, that it's moralistic, that you, you feel, should feel burdened and, and guilty and ashamed and legalistic. Right? He wants you to think that Christianity is about that big list of rules and habits that we have to check off in order to make the grade with God. And it's a lie. But it's a lie that we all fall for at different times in our lives. Think back over the past seven days, if you can, if you will. Have there been points along the way where you have been bothered by guilt? Or you felt burnt out by by doing too many things out of obligation rather than passion? Where you weren't delighting in Christ, but instead were feeling worn out by Christianity? Where instead of feeling comforted by your faith, you were instead feeling ground down by your religion? And we have probably all been there at some point in our lives. And I want to emphasize that is not the life that Jesus died to give us in him. Oh, foolish Lake Rigians, how easily we fall back into our all-American efforts to save ourselves. And the good news is that's not how we're saved. And we just need to remember that because Paul, Paul is emphasizing here in this passage the most basic and, and wonderful truth of our faith, the, the one that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world, and that is that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. We must embrace the reality that we're never good enough for God, and we never will be. No matter how hard we try to be good people, and and I know that many of you, most of you, maybe all of you, are very good people. But you're not good enough. Right? No matter how hard you try to be a good person, no matter how kind and helpful, moral, ethical, disciplined, wise, generous, or loving you may be, you still slip up sometimes and do the wrong thing. Or you do the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. You see, even in our virtue, we tend to slide into self-centeredness, right? We like to do the good deed, but we like to also get patted on the back for it. We secretly want to be praised or admired or loved or rewarded for doing good things sometimes, don't we? We try hard to do our best, but, but even that sometimes gets tainted by our heart, which Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 warns us is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can, can understand it, right? So kids, don't follow what Disney says. Do not follow your heart. Desperately sick. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. God knows our thoughts and knows that even on our best days, our good deeds are tainted by selfishness. Those are the good days. Right? Then we have the bad days where we just stumble headlong into sin. You know, we start getting to talking and doing things we shouldn't. We start looking out for number one. We start disobeying God's clear direction for our life. We fail to love the Lord with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. And we fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
And we can try so hard. And so then when we do this, right, it just feels all the worse when we fail. Right? We feel terrible. We're ashamed. We're guilty, afraid, confused, lost. And we aren't alone in this, right? You're not unique when you feel that way. Paul himself struggled with this. He asked it in Romans 7.15, for I do not understand my own actions. Right here is Paul the Apostle. I don't understand what I'm doing, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. We all struggle with sin sometimes in our lives. And that's where the real good news, the true good news of Jesus Christ comes in. Because rather than that, that fake good news that Paul is having to battle in Galatia, the real good news says that despite our sin and selfishness and sorrow, God loves us, each of us. And in His grace and His mercy, He has made provision for you and He's made provision for me. That Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was given as the perfect, innocent, sinless sacrifice for our sin. This is what Paul had proclaimed earlier in Galatia. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Jesus voluntarily submitted to God's perfect, eternal plan to, to redeem us from our sin. He voluntarily submitted to humiliation and suffering and death on a Roman cross to take the penalty for our sin. See, God is a just God. Right? He is good and loving and merciful, but He is also just, so He cannot just ignore our sin as if it didn't happen. Something must pay. Someone must pay for what we do. And so Jesus was given as our provision. Jesus took God's anger. Jesus paid the price for our sins with His life. And through His sacrificial death and glorious resurrection from the dead, the debt of sin is paid in full for everyone who puts their faith in Him. As 2 Corinthians 5.15 celebrates, and He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake was di died and was raised. You see, our right standing with God, what is formally called our justification, right? Justify should be on our mind if you're a horse racing fan. Right? He conveniently set us up all spring for this series. So triple crown winner, justify. Right? We are justified... Right, Our standing before God comes through faith in Christ alone. There is nothing we can add to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is nothing we can earn in terms of God's love just by being extra good people. Now, we are absolutely called to be good people. We are called to be the best kind of people because we are called to be people who are more and more like Jesus Christ and we are empowered by Him through His Spirit to become ever more and more like Him throughout our lives. But the point is we can relax and just live by faith, as we talked about last week. God doesn't love us and forgive us because we're lovable and worth forgiving. God loves us because of who He is, and He forgives us because of what His perfect Son did for us to earn our forgiveness through His suffering, death, and resurrection. And the point that Paul is emphasizing here to both the Galatian Christians who had, who had forgotten this truth and had just resumed all their old habits, right? They're 90% gone, back to the old ways. And for us, when our 90% starts getting, getting wiped out, 
that whenever we forget and try to justify ourselves, the point is that justification by faith, right, that wasn't something new. It wasn't something new that came with Christ. Justification by faith alone has always been God's only way for sinful mankind to come into a right relationship with God. We were just waiting for the Savior to come to make it possible. This truth was revealed all the way back in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. This is why why Paul brings Abraham into the discussion. He shares this great truths of Abraham's life, starting in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul is quoting Genesis 15.6 that Scott read earlier. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Right, Abraham's a big deal. We probably we talk a lot about him in Sunday school, right? You've heard the name, so he's kind of a big hero of the Bible. But let's be clear, he was very much like us. He was a mix of good things and a, and a mix of bad things. Abraham did some really great stuff. Abraham did some really awful stuff. Abraham did some really stupid stuff. He lied at times. Handed his wife over to whatever the local king was in order to try and save his own skin. Tried to force God's hand in producing an heir. His behavior never could have put him in right standing with God. But his faith, that's a different story. See, Abraham's faith was unwavering. He always believed the commands and promises of God. And it was this faith that caused God to view him as being righteous. Abraham wasn't righteous on his own merits. He wasn't justified by his good deeds, but but God viewed him as righteous because of his faith. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Specifically, as verse 8 explains, Abraham knew the gospel of Jesus Christ more than 2,000 years beforehand. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. God's perfect word, not yet written down, was proclaimed to Abraham as God promised to bless all nations through his unique descendant, Jesus Christ. Abraham knew the gospel beforehand. He believed he was justified by his faith in Christ alone. Jesus affirms this in John 8.56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become descendants of Abraham ourselves. Now, to a Jewish audience in the first century, being a descendant of Abraham was considered an ethnic identification. But in truth, it was always intended to be a spiritual identification. As verse 7 explains, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So we have good news, right? We come into right standing and relationship with God not by anything we do, but by putting our faith in Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross. And so regardless of our background, our personal history, our ethnicity, we are made new through faith in Christ. We are adopted as children of the God of the universe. We are descendants of Abraham, and now we must share this good news with all nations. God's good news was always intended for all nations. The very first promise to Abraham was in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
The blessing of God through the descendant of Abraham was intended for all tribes, tongues, people groups, and nations without discrimination. This promise of blessing is the very foundation of the great commission given by Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gives the church its marching orders, quite literally our marching orders, until he returns. And this is the primary mission, work, and reason for existence for the church. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the church as a whole, you're not going to be able to read that very well because of the focus. The church as a whole has an enormous task to make disciples of all nations. I shared this with you last week as well. About 7.5 billion people are currently alive in the world today. And nearly 4 billion of them have never even had the chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the task of the church. This has been the task of the church for 2,000 years, and some, sometimes the church has embraced it and done the work well, and sometimes the church has not and turned inward in disobedience. But this is the work, and the work will be accomplished. Not everyone will accept Christ, but eventually every nation and people group will get their chance, as Jesus promises in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel, our new life in Christ, our membership in the family of Abraham is intended for everyone, regardless of nationality or citizenship or ethnicity or immigration status. All who accept Christ will be blessed and justified alongside Abraham, our, our model of faith, as verse 9 promises. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And this is why we, Lakers Baptist Church, must be reaching out with this good news. Because the nations have come to us. In 2014, there were over 38 languages other than English spoken in Prince William County. So church, our mission field is all around us. We do not need to travel to the ends of the earth Sometimes we don't even have to travel to the end of our street to engage the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. This is at the very heart of our Love Our Neighbors weekend in September, our chance to get connected to this community around us and demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ and share that with them. So I hope you get involved. I hope you get excited as I am because this is our job. This is why God has placed us here. Right, Because God has brought these people and these nations here to Prince William County. God has placed this church here at the intersection of, of at least three distinctly different neighborhoods, and none of this is an accident. And so we need to be asking God, we need to be asking Him to search our hearts, to reveal to us any kind of attitude or behavior that keeps us from sharing the good news with those who are right across the street and around the corner. And if there's anything there that, that keeps us from getting involved in the gospel, we must repent of these attitudes and be faithful to our calling. Because this good news of justification by faith in Christ alone is good news for every 
single person you will encounter every single day. Right, Everyone you meet later today, everyone you meet tomorrow, everyone you meet later this week was created in the image of God. They are loved by God. And He wants them to hear and embrace this good news. So we have good news for everyone. And we are commanded to share it without discrimination. And the only question is, will we be faithful to the work that has been given to us? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what an extraordinary truth that through no effort of our own, in fact, despite our many efforts, we are in right standing with you, not by our own virtue and hard work, skill or strength, but only by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, whose sacrifice is sufficient to cover all of our sin. So Lord, I pray first of all that you will help us to not become like the Galatian church, to not fall back into the habits and patterns of, of just feeling like our relationship with you is dependent on how hard we work or how much we produce, but instead that you really teach us to live by faith, to find the strength and the joy to do extraordinary things that you have promised that you will do through us when we live that life of faith, when we live that life of the Spirit. Lord, I pray, too, that you will help us to embrace the responsibility that we have, that, that we have been given this golden opportunity to share this great good news with all those around us who are laboring and, and burdened, trying to find a way to make it, their, make it in this world, to make their way to you through hard work and rule-following and rituals and procedures all of which is destined to fail, Lord. So let us share this good news faithfully, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God in many different ways. We have celebrated and have given him the opportunity to speak to us in song and in prayer, in scripture and in proclamation. And I firmly believe that his spirit does speak to us as we are gathered. And so we give you an opportunity now to respond to anything God has laid on your heart. First and foremost, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ, if you never accepted that justification by faith, if you believe today what you did not believe before, that your right standing with God is not based on something you do, but on something that was done for you by Jesus Christ, and you are ready to embrace Him as Lord and Savior, then as we sing, I invite you to come and just let us pray with you, let us celebrate with you. Neil and I will be in the front. Philip will be in the back. If you feel led to, to say, I have been a believer. I've been coming to this church for a while. I want to be part of this mission to reach this community with this good news that is for everyone. And I want to encourage you to take that step, to become a member of this church, to come forward as we worship. But if there's something on your heart, something that has kept you from living that life of freedom and joy, 
that has left you burdened under the weight of trying to be good enough to please God, I want you to use this time just to pray where you are or in the front or with one of the pastors in the front or back, just to, just to ask God to take that burden off you, just to embrace the true good news. You have been saved by faith alone. And if there's anything that's kept you from sharing that great good news, then we invite you to use this time to repent of that and ask God to change your heart. Let us worship. And let us respond.